we could get together this morning and uh, worship. Uh, homecoming was this weekend. All kinds of things happened in our town on homecoming weekend. Um, and this week was slightly different uh, because for many of you who are uh, not aware, there was a shooting in our community and uh, a person lost their life and there are other people injured as well. Um, it's something big for our community to go through. But like I said earlier, when we pray, we're not praying in response to a situation. We're praying as priests who come to God, who say, Lord, we're taking our place for this community. Um, so there are many things that are going on. Some of these things you might not even understand. Some of these things you might, even, might not even know. But it's important, and this would be my encouragement to you, through the week, you will have phone calls, texts, people saying different things. The news channel might be on. And there is a temptation to get sucked into the conversation of it. And you need to have a conversation with the Most High. That's where you have access. So why would you leave that on the table but have conversations with everybody else? So I would encourage you, as you navigate this coming week, I want you to specifically say, Lord, what is my daily bread? Um, many of you have had some really good responses in life group and some of you had some good questions about, you know, I don't know how to receive my daily bread. I have not thought about this before. It starts with simple ask and a simple ask. Just the same way your kid would come to you and say, can I have a snack? Now, how complicated was that? They're hungry. They need a snack. Too many of them sometimes, right? But does that stop them from asking? Have you ever seen a kid afraid to ask for a snack? <laughs> they're always, regardless of where they are, they're like, can I have a snack? I'm not, I need a snack. You have the privilege of coming to your heavenly father, even if it was the 20th time today. To say, Lord, I'm, I don't know what's going on in my head right now. I don't know where my heart is at, but I'm coming to you. You're my source. You're my daily bread. So I want you to lean into that, okay? I have the rare privilege of being able to introduce and welcome Pastor Chris Ball. For those of you who do not know um, Chris is a dear friend of mine, firstly, but he also happens to be the president of Elam Fellowship. Now, Elam Fellowship is a fellowship of churches and pastors and leaders um, who serve as my licensing for, or I was ordained through their ministry as well, uh, to be a pastor. But it comes under the authority and the counsel of this group of elders in this church who ordained me to be a pastor, right? So, but this is also serves as a body that gives me covering for things that I'm walking through. And if the elders ever do see something that needs to be addressed in my life as an elder, as a pastor who works in this church, they have a recourse to be able to go to Elam Fellowship and say, we need counsel. We need people who um, can work through certain things with Judah. Right? So that's partly my, my way of also staying accountable to the local church, but also receiving from people who are outside of our little bubble. Okay? So we have a little bubble here, and I love this bubble. I love each of the people in it. But uh, it's also great to receive from people who are just slightly outside, a little removed, who can watch things from afar as well. 
um, and watch growth, watch places of error, uh, and warn the other elders or warn different people saying, hey, these are things that you should pay attention to. So that's something that I value and I treasure. And my relationship with Pastor Chris has been what, for about three and a half years. Yeah, and um, he came down to Indiana to meet me. I was like, well, the president's coming down to meet me. I was like, did I do something? Did I blow the whole, like, licensing thing? Or what? But um, he, he, he was very, very warm right from the first time we met. And I've had the privilege to meet with him, go up to New York to spend some time with them as well. Um, and I've learned a lot from these leaders. And I, I thank God that it was based on relationship and not leadership techniques. Um, so that's been a real value for me. So I don't want to waste too much more time because he has a word from God for us. And I want to invite Chris to share what the Lord has for us this morning. Good morning, everyone. It is a joy to be here. I've come to Indiana, Pennsylvania, many, many times, and I've heard about this amazing church from the uh, probably the first time that Judah was in the area. Bob Santos introduced me to him, and I would come to be with Bob and some of the other credential holders uh, that are connected with us at Elam Fellowship, and. Uh, I just uh, have heard really, really great stuff about this church. As it's, I've heard about your history a little bit, but most of all, um, through uh, the eyes of your pastor, I've come to become acquainted. And I was quite humbled, to be honest with you, that I was invited to come and speak. I know that there is a sense where you um, are very careful about who you invite, and you should be careful uh, these days who you invite to speak. So hopefully I don't do any damage to that. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, but I do take it very serious. Uh, just to help you a little bit more, I don't have an agenda other than to come to be a part of what you're already doing. Uh, we, we are uh, at Elam Fellowship. Every, uh, every one of our pastors and our churches, now this is not an Elam church, but it's pastored by an Elam pastor, we, we're autonomous. You're, you're all autonomous. I pastored for 30 years with my wife in a little town called South Butler, New York. Population 127. And uh, that was the population of the town. And uh, we stayed there for 27 years. And when we got there, the church was a Church of Christ Disciples. I had come right out of Bible college with my wife, and we went there, loved on those people, and stayed long enough to see some amazing things happen in the middle, middle of nowhere. I always have faith for um, a church just like this because uh, if he could do it in South Butler, he could do it anywhere. <laughs> and, uh, and when we left, um, God graced us over those years to see a growing church, a healthy church, and it continues on today, and uh, I'm real privileged with that. Let me just say something about your pastor, one more, and then I'll say something about my family, and then I'll get to business. How's that? Uh, you got to do this when you're new. You know what I mean? Who is this guy? You're sniffing me around now saying, who is this? Okay, so I hope it turns out good, but uh, I want to thank you for that introduction. The most important thing was when you said, I'm a friend, and I really mean that. I, I just, uh, I, whenever I came here, I just felt a connection with you. I didn't know where it would go, 
But um, I, I, I felt so good about your pastor that every year when we have a, what we call a Council of Elders meeting, we invite people to uh, come to be a part of that just to observe how we do business. And, and the reason is, is because we want to be transparent, number one. But number two, for me at least, I want to learn from the younger generation because uh, I don't always get it, if you will. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, and you've taught me some things, and I really appreciate it. And we're going to continue that uh, relationship. And uh, so uh, I've met your elders. We met at Perkins. I think, was that a year ago or something like that? Yeah, I think it was something like that. I met some, several. And, of course, I met some of your newer elders uh, now. And so uh, enough of the flattery. Uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to be flattering. I'm just trying to say I really have enjoyed uh, connecting with you, and it's meant a lot. I, uh, I was born in England, moved to, uh, moved to the United States when I was 10 years old, no British accent. I could fake it <laughs> if you want to, but I'm not going to fake it, right? And, uh, but my, uh, I met my wife in Bible college when I was uh, a little older than 10, so uh, 36, seven, 37 years ago, we've been married now, and uh, just uh, we've got three children who are serving the Lord. Uh, my son uh, is uh, in Rochester, downtown Rochester. We have a killing almost every night, if not two or three every single night in Rochester, and my son has chosen to go right in the middle of all that, and he's now in charge of a cafe that opens at 4 30 in the morning after some of that stuff goes on and he is training the people from the streets how to uh they call them apprentices and teaching them how to do a job and then they would help them this ministry helps them find a job isn't that cool so that's what josiah and his wife are doing his wife uh is a photographer then i have um uh, Sarah, who's my oldest daughter, I've only got one daughter, and she's the oldest of the three, and, uh, and she is, and her husband are pastoring uh, a college ministry in Greg Rochelle's church. He has 46 churches. It's a mega church, and uh, it, it, we were there five weeks ago at their first night. It's on the campus of Stillwater, Oklahoma State University, and uh, the first night, they had 647 college students come to their meeting. Is that like crazy or what? I wouldn't want that many right away. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then my son Elijah and his wife have just given us a, a granddaughter. And she is the best looking girl in the world next to my wife, of course. And, uh, but uh, we just love them. And, and Elijah has been a youth pastor up until about a month and a half ago. And now he has taken a, a time away from doing full-time ministry. This feels like the Lord wants him to get back into the marketplace. So he's doing some stuff in a company. So uh, that's my family, and I'm ready to go. Amen? And uh, again, thank you for, you didn't invite me, but thank you for the invitation. And hopefully I'll do good enough for you to uh, let you keep your job. Let's go. go here. All right, here we go. Hey. I get to travel, just to give you an idea, last night I was on the phone for an hour for, with a guy from India. Uh, I get to travel the nations. We have 100, right now, 128 missionaries around the world. And so, as the president, and my church, my little church in South Butler, we grew to the point where we had 18 missionaries uh, that we supported full time. 
And uh, that little church sent me more places than Elam has sent me. It's pretty cool. And uh, so I've got relationships with connections all around the world. So last night I was talking to a brother from uh, Hyderabad, India. And uh, it was really, really great talking to him. Uh, he was really calling me out of a, a concern of something that I'm walking through. And uh, so we talked together. It was great. He's going to visit me in a few weeks. And, uh, but, uh, but we, so we have pastors. So I get to go all the time to churches. Next week is a week off for me. But the week after, I'm going to be going to Miami to speak at a Cuban community. We have some Cuban churches down in Miami. And so and I loved it. I love this. I love meeting new people and so forth. And, uh, and so, but one of the things I'm hearing is kind of even a little bit about what's happening even in this, in this community today with what happened last night. And, uh, but it's kind, of, it's, it's kind of been like reoccurring, and that is, is there's two reactions to what we see happening going on in the world today, whether it's Israel or whether it's Indiana Pennsylvania or whatever it's there's like two reactions from the church and one reaction is 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 with what happened is after the pandemic and COVID and elections and stuff like that if people on uh, you know the same circumstance but people on this side of the conversation same conversation is they're they're quitting they're not coming back to church since they could go home and watch it in their pajamas you know what I'm saying uh, all, all across. We still have churches that are only back about uh, 30%. And, uh, you know, it's just crazy how significant portions of the church, as well as pastors and leaders, have just taken that circumstance and said, I don't know, I feel like throwing in the towel. Even George Barner says that 49% of pastors in the last two years have thought about quitting. 49%. It's an increase by 17%. Then there's the other side of the conversation, which I know is right here. And uh, when I saw that your, your theme was, I wrote it down here, uh, your theme is uh, divine pursuit, right? I, I, said, I said, I've got a message that starts with the word divine, divine addition. I want to talk about that. The other side of the uh, our, uh, conversation, people are responding this way. They're saying, this is not a time to quit. Levi Lusco in Montana is saying, he's a young pastor, uh, significant work. I've been following some of him over the years. He says, this is not a time. This is a time to, to pull up your bootstraps and get ready because God wants to do something to the people who are not shaken by the circumstances of this world, but know that while we have tribulation, he overcomes the world. And, and, and the way... Pastor Judah has been talking to me about this, this place. I said, I, got, I think I got a word for you. I think I got a word. And, uh, and I think God is saying, in fact, everywhere you go, whether I go to Baptist churches, I get to go to sometimes different groups because we have pastors like me who pastor in churches that are not Pentecostal, uh, not necessary. And I, they're, they're all talking about, it feels like revival. And then you got, you know, different places where revival is springing up right now. But it seems like God is saying, I want to do something. And I believe it's churches just like this one. They're saying, we want to be right in the middle of that. We, here's what you're saying from, from what I'm hearing. that We want to be right in the middle of what God is doing. And, and hang in there with him. And... Uh, uh, 
I, and I, so, I, so I, I felt like the Lord gave me a word. I had open heart surgery in January. And in December, he gave me this word right here. He said, I'm coming to some churches, not all of them, all of them, only to the churches that open my door, the door that I'm giving them. Behold, I stand and knock at that door. And if they open it up, I'm going to bring divine addition to those churches. And I pray right before I go anywhere, and I say, God, do you want to do that in this church in Indiana, Pennsylvania? And I sense that from the title of your theme for the year. My wife's favorite verse is Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts I have for you. And I think yours is verse 13, which is, if you seek him, you will find him. Isn't that cool? And so I believe God is wanting to bring divine addition to this house. In fact, uh, the passage that uh, I, I, I can tell you that uh, is, is 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7, talks about where... Uh, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God causes, do you know what the rest of that verse is? Let's try it. I planted, Apollos watered, but God causes the increase or the growth or the addition. Are you with me? And by the way, the addition I'm talking about is not just numbers. It's an addition of who he is coming to us, divine addition. When I, when, I, when I titled that message, Divine Edition, I really kind of had a conversation with God. I said, God, I like multiplication a whole lot more than addition. <laughs> and you know what God said to me? I'm, this is what he said. He said, Chris, my addition is better than your multiplication. That's what he said to me. God wants to come, and he wants to bring addition. In fact, let me help you posture for what I'm about to share, and that is this. I, I, I want to po- ask you to consider one of two things. Number one, it, is God going to bring divine addition to this church as a, a whole, or is it just to me, to you? Because I think there's addition that he wants to do in my personal life. I think he divinely wants to add to my life. I'll talk about that towards the end. But I also think, I think, he does want to do something in a way of divine addition. The greatest addition that I found in Scripture that was divine was when Jesus, quote, was added to the earth. When God him, himself in the flesh came and, 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 and decided to, to, to be added to our environment as a human being, to show us some ways and to do some things in our lives. But what I've noticed is this, is that when the a divine addition himself showed up, not everybody agrees with it. Not everybody's happy with the fact that Jesus showed up on the scene. We're not always ready for what he has made ready for us. And I believe that part of what I feel the Lord is asking me to do with churches just like this, and maybe for you individuals, is this, is get, get yourself in a posture that says, Am I ready for his divine addition? Is this church ready? If you added 3,000 like they did in Acts, most of us wouldn't be ready. But try even adding just 300 to this church next week. Are we ready? I don't know if we are. I mean, some of you will be just frustrated that somebody sat in your place. I know. I know. In uh, John chapter 3 is where I'm going to preach from. 
Jesus has been added to the atmosphere. He's picked disciples. He's gone to the wilderness for 40 days. He got baptized. The Holy Ghost showed up. This guy's a real special man, you know. Things are happening. I mean, not everybody, when they get baptized, has somebody from heaven say, this is my son. And I'm pleased with this son. Not everybody has that happen. He had it happen. The John, John is the discipler and also baptizer. That's his last name, John the Baptist. And, and he's baptizing. And his disciples start feuding with the other leaders and teachers of the law. And, and, and if you look at the context, it's basically there's a threat. Who is this new guy and his disciples baptizing? I'll read it for you in just a second. And John gives them a little teaching that I want to give to you. And, I, and, and every time I teach it, I get something new out of it again. But I, I feel like John is saying to us, hey, um, uh, you know, uh, we need to pay attention when God wants to do divine addition to us. Let me read it. If you turn to John chapter 3, if you don't, don't want to, that's fine. Just listen. Chapter 3, verse 22 says this. After these things, after Jesus picked his disciples, after he raised people from the dead, after he started doing miracles, after he went into the wilderness, that's what it means there. After all these things, he and his disciples, Jesus and his disciples came to the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now, later on down at the bottom of this text, it says he didn't baptize. It was his disciples baptizing, but here he did baptize. Seems like a contradiction. He baptized, then he didn't baptize. Actually, he might have been in two different places when he was quoted at one baptizing and the other his disciples baptizing. Now, John also was baptizing near Salim because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Verse 25, then arose a dispute. Here's what I was talking about. Between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification, they came to John and said, Hey, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, talking about Jesus now, to whom have testified, listen, listen, this is the attitude in the original. Behold, this dude's baptizing. I thought that was your job. He's sitting in my, he's sitting in my pew. Who is he doing? He, he's a new drummer. He's better than my, my drummer. He's a new guitar player. This new guy plays bass better than me. What's he doing playing bass? In my spot. Just a thought. By the way, they're all good instrumentals here. And I know what I'm talking about. A little bit. Hey, look, behold, he's baptizing and all now are coming to him. They like his music better. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness with me that I said I am not the Christ. From the beginning he was saying that. I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Verse 29, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom stands and hears and, and rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is complete. And then a verse that you might know says, He must increase, but I must what? Decrease. 
He must increase, but I must decrease. In the middle of this, John starts to teach his disciples, I think, a message. He's giving them a sermon. They're asking him. He's the rabbi. He's the teacher, and he says to them, let me tell you what's going on here, guys. And I believe what he begins to teach them is what we need to know in order to not ruin the moment when God divinely starts to add to our lives. That when he begins to start growing this church in the way that you all would be praying, if you're not praying for this church to grow, that's not the spirit of Jesus. And growth can scare you. But God is the one who calls multiplication addition to had. He said daily they were adding to my church. And so what are the things that John says that I think he's saying to us? Verse 27. A man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. First lesson John teaches, John the Baptist teaches, is this. I must know that what I have must come from God. Do you really, really know that what you're doing and what you're saying and what you're behaving like comes from God? You can have talent that God's not telling you to use. Hello? I got to know that the talent that I'm using comes from his direction. He's the one that has to help me know that. Because if you don't do that, if it's because man gave you the direction, then man will have to defend you. But if God gives you the word, God gives you the talent, God says you got that position, God tells you you're going to be an elder, God tells you you're going to baptize, then you don't have to defend yourself. And you'll know in your knower it's not a competition with the people that come who have more talent than you. It comes from him. It comes from God. I want to know that what I'm called to, if God gave it to me, he can take it away. If God put me in the position, then he can remove me from that position. God knows. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says this, Since we have this ministry, since we have been given this ministry, we therefore have mercy. Authority and anointing only comes when God has given you that ministry. You can't add anointing to something God didn't give you. Let me just put it. I know people that are good speakers that never were called to pastor. But they're in pulpits in America. And never were given that from God. They were given to it by man. I know churches, big churches, that contract special guest singers and worship team leaders that I don't even know if they're saved. Born again, followers of Christ. We've become so professional, we can do it without Jesus. But he's saying, you got to know. You got to know. That when I hand out bulletins, you don't do that here. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but you got to know when you do things that God lets you have that job. And that job's no more special on a Sunday morning to get up and walk down the aisle with two cases of water like the sister did this morning. 
and say, I know God gave me this job. I said, do you want me to carry that? He said, no, she does that every week. And God's watching. God's watching. And it's valuable and it's important. And it's so in, in, in important. One, one of the things that happened, Pastor, during uh, COVID is that the church learned it had a lot more options. And we have now options to choose. Do I stay home? Do I watch this? Do I watch T.D. Jakes? Do I watch Stephen Furtick? Do I go to church? Options. I believe God is saying to us, listen, amongst all the options, find out the option he wants and choose that one. That's why I came here today. God called me to come here today. And I am completely excited about that because you have a peace that passes all understanding when that happens. It's amazing. It's not whether you applaud me. It's not whether you don't applaud me. It's that I'm obedient to him. And that works for you. So number one, when God begins divinely add to this church or add to your personal life, you got to know in your knower that what you have comes from him. Comes from him. I have never shared this in public, so I'll share it to you now. When I, I can get funny. Some of you are catching that. Some of you aren't. That's okay. But, but I can get funny when I preach. And um, when I first started pastoring that little church, the elders took me aside and they said, we don't, we don't really think it's good that you're funny in the pulpit. And I said, God's humorous. He made you. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, but you know what? When somebody speaks like that into your life as a young pastor, it'll shut you down. It'll shut you down. So I go to a meeting with a bunch of pastors and a guy named David Ireland. I don't know if you know David, but David Ireland he pulled me out of the crowd, and in his prophecy, he says this. Who says this? He goes, Chris, I have called you to be a clown in the house of the Lord. Now, for everybody else, they laughed, but for me, I started crying. Because God gave me permission to be me in the way he made me. Are you with me? And uh, laughter is, in the, you know, is, 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 is medicine according to scripture. Now, if I'm, if I'm getting you to laugh so that you like me more, that might not be a good motive. But if I'm getting you to laugh to open you up a little bit so his spirit can speak to you, and his voice should be the loudest voice in the room right now, even though it might be still. Because his voice often changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. When I look back, he caused the increase. I may have watered and planted all those times, my wife and I. But I couldn't even tell you why our church grew to 500 from 36 people. I have no, no idea. Really. He causes the increase. And I, often, pastor, people would come. I don't think it happens to you because you're a much better preacher probably than me. But, but people would come up to me all the time. Is it kind of embarrassing? And they would say, I don't know what you said today, but God got a hold of me, and I want to get saved. God got a hold of me and talked to me, 
And I want, I want to start tithing. Well, you know God got a hold of them when they heard that one. <laughs> Are you with me? No sermon I've ever preached, and I can preach some good sermons from John Maxwell <laughs> on giving. Are you hearing me? God is the one that speaks to us. You've got to know what you have comes from God. Is that helpful? Number two, he says this, verse 28. John continues, and he says to the disciples, you yourselves bear witness that from the beginning, he said this, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Second lesson, you must know who you are and who you're not. You don't just need to know that what you have and your assignment, your giftings, your talent come from him. You got to know who you are and who you're not. I'm not going to try to be a name dropper now, but for whatever reason, I don't know why. Some of these names may not matter to you. It doesn't matter, but it meant the world to me. God allowed me in this little town of South Butler, population 127, 8,000 cows. I forgot to tell you that part. <laughs> to connect with world leaders in the church. One of them was John Maxwell that I just mentioned. I have always had a heart for pastors before I got a title. But I knew I had nothing to say, so I said, God, give me people who I could bring into pastors' lives so they could speak because I have a heart for these pastors. And in Syracuse, New York, I brought John Maxwell to Syracuse. $36,000 it cost me to sign on the dotted line to bring him for one day back in 19. 96. We had the largest conference of pastors of all movements back in that day. They found out that they found out that I didn't make money on it, that I just set charged them whatever they charged. I wasn't a jobber, you know, I wasn't like a marketing person. I just said, I want to do this. And I connected with a church and made sure they got involved with me, a big enough church, because you couldn't get us in that little sanctuary. And we had twelve hundred pastors come. And John found that out, and he, he, he said to my wife, he said, meet me and my friend here, want, uh, the, the other speaker, and he said, uh, we want to we wanna, um, send you on a trip just to say thank you. And they, they sent us to Cancun. And after that, we built a friendship. Two years later, I said, I want a Pentecostal guy to come to the area. And I, I brought in Jack Hayford. Same kind of thing happened. And, uh, and Jack Hayford came to the area, and we brought him in, and he found out the same thing. And he took me to Israel and Carol to Israel. He had Carol lead worship and me lead the team in Israel, and he paid for everything. I don't know why I was out of the middle of nowhere, got chose to do that, but this is what happened to me. When I got up to preach, I was a good John Maxwell. And, and, and after that season, I was an amazing Jack Hayford, just shorter, right? And I could hold my finger up just like him. God wanted me to get something from him, but he didn't want me to be him. And one day God told me, he said, Chris, when are you going to start being Chris? I'm not kidding you. From the time I went there to the time, I mean, good John Maxwell, good Jack Hayford, we only grew to about 150. 
But I remember that day when God said, Chris, stop being John Maxwell. Stop using his sermons. Stop using Jack's. I got stuff I want to give you. From that day on, it went from 150 to 250 to 350 to 450 in two years. God didn't want them there. He wanted me there. Does that make sense? And God is saying to you today, listen, <laughs> don't, don't try to be somebody else. You got to know who you are and who you're not. What's your name, your drummer? Michael. Hi, Michael. Michael, when God made you, listen to me, Michael. This is cool. Watch this. You guys know Michael? Okay, so it'll mean more to you. Here we go. Michael, watch this. When God made you, he said, I'll never do that again. Because <laughs> I did it perfect the first time. I did it right. I don't need two Michaels. The Michael I made, you got to know who you are and who you're not. And that's the guy I love. That's the guy I made. And I'll never do it again. That's how he said it. And he could say that to you and to you and to you. He could say it to you, even though you're wearing a Pittsburgh shirt. Moving on. I'm just kidding. I know where I am. I'm not into sports, so there you go. I, I'm saved. I know who I am and who I'm not. Okay. <laughs> are you with me? Come on. You've got to get excited of who you are. Quit trying to be somebody else. When this church starts to add people, you will have people that you might get threatened by come in here. But John the Baptist was not threatened by Jesus. From the very beginning, I know my job. I know what I'm doing. I know who I am. I am not the Christ. And Michael is not Chris Ball, and I'm certainly not Michael. Amen? And I'm glad, because Michael is needed greatly in, his, in this world. Thank you for letting me use you. Appreciate it. I usually give people 20 bucks, but I don't have it. Moving on. <laughs> All right, number three. Are you ready? <laughs> number one, you've got to know that what you have, Michael, comes from God. Number two, you got to know who you are and who you're not. Number three, verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom stands next to the bridegroom and just hears his voice. In this, it goes on to say, brings me joy. The New Living Translation, I didn't know this until just a couple days ago. I brought that Bible to use for my devotions this week, and I'm on the road. And, uh, and it says, I read it, and it says, the best man is what my job is. I'm just the best man. I'm not, I'm not marrying that church. Jesus is marrying that church. And I'm just the best man. I've been a couple of times the best man. And it's exciting to be the best man because I wouldn't want to marry that girl. <laughs> Are you hearing me? But God wanted to marry this girl, this bride. Are you with me? And, and JB was standing there saying, and I'm okay just listening and hearing the joy of Jesus about his bride. Isn't that cool? You got to know what you have comes from God. You got to know who you are 
and who you're not. You also got to know what you're called to do and what you're not called to do. You got to know that. If God's going to bring divine addition to this church, to your personal life, you got to know what you're called to do and what you're not called to do. You're not the pastor. You are. I have never gone to the dentist and sat in the chair and said to the dentist, okay, let me tell you, I've been reading up on Google. I know how this root canal works, and this is what you need to do. I've never done that. I've never gone to a lawyer and said to a lawyer, hey, guess what, bud? The reason I'm talking to a lawyer is because I need a lawyer. <laughs> and I've never gone to him and told him how to do his job. For some reason, I, I, I'm, I'm sure it's not that much here, but churches I go to that control the pastor is absolutely mind-boggling to me. And you've been trained. And, it, and God called you to do that. You got to know what you're called to do and what you're not called to do. Now, we're all called to servanthood. We're all called to love. We're all called to learn from each other. I'm not talking about that spirit. But I'm talking about a critical spirit to come up. And everybody tries to tell you how to do sound better. It tells you how to do the offering better. It tells you how to do this better. No, listen. You got to know what you're called to do and what you're not called to do. Let me tell you how I learned that. When we went to my little church, they had an organ player. I was the 77th pastor. 77. Before me. 1831, that church was founded. Garfield preached in that church, President Garfield. 52 people can sit in that church, and 53 don't fit. And, uh, and we're, we're in that church, and we're doing three hymns. And my wife and I are feeling like the Lord wants us to teach people how to do some worship songs, chorus songs. I mean, they were worship songs, the hymns, but a new style of worship. Some of you who, younger people won't know this, but... But we taught them songs like this. What a mighty God we serve. How many know that one? What a mighty God we serve. That's enough. That's killing me right now. And then, uh, and then as the deer panted for, right? All that stuff, right? So we're teach my wife's teaching that, right? And then on the way home, we, we bought a home about seven minutes away from the church. Me and my wife would have this weekly conversation. It started with her. Oh, no, with me. I would say, hey, honey, how did you feel the message went today? And the only right answer is it was good, right? That was the only right answer because and, uh, and, and, I trained her. And, uh, and, uh, and then, uh, then she said, how did you feel about the worship? And I, I was a little thick, okay? Just give me a break. But I said, honey, I think mighty God could have gone just a tad faster. Intense fellowship for seven minutes between me and my babe. Are you with me? Intense fellowship. What do you mean, faster? And uh, the next week, how about this week? Uh, how do you feel that your worship went? Well, do you have to sing as the deer 15 times through? I was exaggerating to make a point. I didn't realize that would bring some pain. Intense fellowship once again. This went on and on and on because I just am thick. And so she said, 
we need to talk to the elders because we're fighting every week after church. And God's doing stuff, right? Introducing new worship. So we went to the elders, and they agreed with her pastor, which means you should never go to the elders for marriage counseling just for a tip for you, okay? That's my attitude back then. That's what I was like. And I don't agree with that, by the way. Well, a little bit. But, but finally, we went to marriage counseling, therapy, because she needed it, therapy. If she was here, I would be saying that. Okay, is it Donovan? Yeah, that she would be saying that. She would be right there right now looking back at you and goes, just like this while I'm preaching. That's what she would do. And because uh, that's, that's how it was. I was so blind. And I said um, to the count, I said she needed therapy. And then I, then I said, well, the reason she needed therapy is because she lived with me. <laughs> and so the counselor said this to us, and it was life-changing for me. The counselor said this, Chris. Your wife doesn't need a junior Holy Spirit. You have been given a position and a job, yes. But so is she. And she knows it came from God. And she knows who she is and who she's not. She doesn't need you to tell her how to do her job. I can do that fine. That's what God was saying through the counselor. And then he, and he said this. This will save some of your marriages, okay? Marriage counseling from the pulpit. Here we go. <laughs> Stay in your own lane, Chris. And don't go into her lane unless she invites you. You can't get into trouble if you pull into somebody's lane without a turn signal. And even though you have your turn signal on, they got to let you in. Are you hearing me? And if they don't let you in, you're going to force your way in, you're going to have a problem. And that's what was happening in my marriage. And so um, I learned. I got a lane, and she has a lane. She's called to that lane. I said, but I'm the pastor, the head of the church next to Jesus. That's how we talk when we're ignorant. God knows how to speak to you. Now, as the pastor, I might have the responsibility but I got to have this conversation that allows the invitation of going in and out each other's lanes. You can't force any conversation. Are you hearing my heart? And so this helps you, see. It helps you understand it's okay that the guys over there are baptizing. It's not bothering me. I, they're called to do that. I've been called to do it over here. He's not threatened by it. He's not saying, wait a minute, the disciples are baptizing over there later on in that text. He's not saying anything about that. He's just doing his thing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You got to know what you're called to do and what you're not called to do. I'm going to end it with this. Ending doesn't mean it's right now. It's going to be a minute or two from now. Okay, right now. Okay. So point number one. <laughs> I'm not coming back. I can tell right now. <laughs> Sit right now. <laughs> oh, God, help us. Donovan. Be cool now, all right? Uh, all right, here we go. Number one, I'm having fun. If you're not, you're not. I'm having fun. You got to know what I have comes from God. Number two, you got to know who I am and who I'm not. Number three, you got to know what I'm called to do and what I'm not called to do. Man, you give me a guitar, you're going to be in real trouble. 
But my wife knew how to do that. You give me a drumstick, I might have some, something to say. Fourth lesson, the verses in verse 30, it says this. He must increase, and I must decrease. He must increase, and I must decrease. In November, December, when I was writing this message, it was right before I had open heart surgery, the second time. And I was listening to God, and God showed me something that I really haven't taken much time to go see if it's even accurate, but I think it is, and I think I could prove it if I wanted to. So I'm going to share with you what he said to me. If you, if you want to test it, go ahead. But this is what he said to me. Chris, every time you read that verse, he must increase and I must decrease. This is the posture I took of that verse. He is to be the biggest deal in the world, and I'm to be a worm. I'm to be nothing. I'm to be absolutely, like, it's all God and it's none of me. And this is what the Lord showed me personally. Now, I hope if, if you like it, you could take it with you. But I think this is what God was showing me. He said, Chris, this is what I mean by this. Divine addition. You must increase. That's decrease, that's for sure. But I want to increase in you. Greater is he that is in you. Well, how does he get greater in you? If you don't decrease... And let him come in and get greater in you. And I must increase in you. So point number four is this. You must decrease and he must increase in you. And he started me on a journey that I have, I think I'm up to 11 different things that he said he wants to increase in me. It's quite humbling. Donovan, if you knew me real well, you'd know I was a really people person, man. I love people. I'm known for that. As a, you know, I just am a people person. I like people. I like you. I like the way you hugged me earlier. I like the way you welcomed me. And I want to talk to you more because I, I, I just love it. I hate going to our annual conference because we see 800 people come to the conference, and while I'm hugging somebody, I wish I was talking to the other person. Are you with me? Because I want to connect. That's, that's who I am. Are you hearing me? And, uh, and I said, God, you know I love people. And he goes, yeah, but I want to increase that in you. I, I said, why? He said, yeah, you need to learn how to love people. I said, God, everybody knows I love people. I'm telling God this. And he said, you love the people you love, but you ignore the people I love. That's what he said to me. I don't like that. I have to die for that. I have to die. I have to decrease for him to do that. And he started showing me people that I ignored, that he never ignores. He started showing me that I was more interested in the latte than the person that served me the latte at Starbucks. And he's, he's weeping over the person that's handing me the latte. He said, I want you to learn how to love people I love, not just the ones you love. And I love a lot of people but he loves the whole world. That's crazy, man. That'll wreck your life when it starts to work in you, that greaterness coming in you, that addition to your own life. Because he's adding to me a love for people that I used to be afraid of. I'm not 
compromising scripture. But I'm starting to love people who don't know who they are. Don't know what gender they are. I've gotten some free lattes out of the deal. I don't care about the lattes more, just kidding. And I'm starting to figure out that God loves them and they think we are bigots. I'm, I'm praying and walking and talking to people that I've not talked to in all 30 years of my walk with, as a pastor. It's amazing. Another thing he said to me is I want you to, I want to increase in you your ability to listen. Do you know God never doesn't listen? He, he never can say to us, oh, I didn't hear that. My wife says I have selective listening. I don't know what she's talking about. But he's coming into my life and he's teaching me to listen like he listens. I have an ear to hear, not just have an ear, but go deeper and hear. I talked to the pastors and leaders yesterday about the concept of being able to understand somebody. We have a deficit in America when it comes to pastors and leaders in the church in the area of trust. We, we, we just hear stuff all the time of uh, trust being violated by leaders in the church. If I walk out of here today and do something that is horrible to God, you'll, you'll never trust me again. He was fake. How could he preach like that? How could he speak like that? It's happening all over. And one of the ways we earn trust is to be able to just listen good enough. Pastors, we talk too much. You can already tell that about me, right? Don't comment on that, Donovan, okay? Okay, just, just hold back. It's easy for us to talk. We were trained to talk. We were trained to speak. God anointed us to speak. God's saying to me, you must decrease, and I must increase in you to listen. Like I listen. Oh, my goodness. It's been quiet around our house. More so. Because I'm waiting. And I'm doing this between us. I'm doing this. Shut up, Chris. Don't say anything yet. Listen, she's not finished. She's going to say more. This is God talking to me. To be a better listener to my wife. He wants me to be a better learner. These are just the ones that I'm thinking of. I'm not even looking at my notes. I've got 11 of them. It took me a year to get these 11. Chris, I want you to learn like I learn. You read the books you want. Let me give you the books I want. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me with my yoke, not with your yoke. Your yoke's heavy, Chris. Come on. You're trying to learn about that heaviness. That's how, that's how you challenged us this morning. You said, hey, let's be in the middle of this so we don't go out and listen and learn, but take his yoke upon us, which is much lighter than the situations we face, and learn from him. 
Isn't that cool? That's what you did today. Can I have him stand so I can pray for him? By the way, I might be his boss in a sense of a president, which I'm not his boss. I don't pay him anything. <laughs> but authority-wise, but when I'm in this house, I'm under his authority. And that's why I just asked him if I could do that. Could you stand with me, please? Pastor said it's okay. All right. Oh, my. Some of you in this room, I just feel like you've second-guessed what you've got, and you need to learn and know that what you have comes from God. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you in a minute. And I want you to say, God, confirm to me so I know in my knower that what I've got going on in my life comes from you. So I don't have to prove it to this person or that person. I just know it from you. Some of you in this room uh, need to know who you are and who you're not. Michael knows who he is because we told him. <laughs> he's Michael. And he's a good Michael. And one that God will never do again. Do you know who you are and who you're not? I can't be a John Maxwell. I can't be a Jack Hayford. I can't be this brother. I got to be me. You got to be you. Number three, you got to know what you're called to do and what you're not called to do. If you're doing stuff today that you're just doing it to impress somebody, you might not be called. What are you called to do and what are you not called to do? That way when people come in, it's not going to threaten you. You're going to welcome them. And you're going to help them know what they're called to do and what they're not called to do. And then maybe this one. I need to decrease. And he needs to increase in me. The divine addition needs to start right here. I need to love people like God loves people. But don't, don't use mine. Spend time with God on that one. Because he'll give you different ones. Father, I just thank you for this amazing church. And I ask your blessing on them right now. I pray, God, that this church would be protected in the midst of this community so it becomes a beam of light that will cast out all darkness and bring light to the place where people will be drawn to that light. I pray, God, that every single person that comes to this church will know that this is the church where you not only love them, you've given them assignments. You've given them an identity that's unique to them. And, Lord, that this would be a church where people are decreasing so that you increase in them. And may it be done in such a way that there's an increased level of joy in this house. May it be done in such a way that it's an increased uh, level of peace in this house. That there's an increased level of mercy. There's an increased level of grace flowing. That when people come in here, they don't recognize you, but they recognize Jesus. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Pastor, I turn it back over to you. Or whoever. Donovan. Oh, Donovan, please behave. Okay. <laughs>